welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody. I'm Tom Masters, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Uh, Today's topic is going to be a viable solution for the opioid epidemic, and I'd like to uh, welcome Dr. Hanscom. Well, Tom, thank you. I mean, I think of all the topics we've talked about that this is the biggest one. It's become pretty clear to us in the medical profession that Obviously, the AIDS, HIV epidemic was a huge problem, and this is massively larger than you can imagine. And then for physicians in the trenches watching this on the ground floor, it's hard to put into words how deep the financial costs are, how deep the human suffering is. It's hard to measure the cost to society as far as just purely lack of productivity, much less a medical cost. So this problem, a lot of us are really anxious about that. Literally, is going to gut our medical system, if not even our society. But here's the deal. Here's my perspective. So I'm a complex spine surgeon. I've been doing it for 32 years. And I'd say the first 20 to 25 years of my practice, I might see one or two spine infections a year at the most. And there was a big deal. We were able to solve them. I was one of the first surgeons along with another friend of mine who were actually putting hardware right in the middle, middle of an infection and actually solving it because it's considered the hardware is contraindicated to put into infection. But we found out that stabilizing the spine made a big difference. But what happens is that people use IV drugs, then the bacteria gets into the bloodstream, then it lodges in many different places, but the two basic places that are most common are the heart valves causing endocarditis, which is a major problem, causing heart failure and stroke. The second thing where I get involved with is the spine, where there's a good blood supply into the disc, but essentially no blood supply out. So what happens is the bacteria gets into the bloodstream, gets into the disc space, or into the space around the spinal cord, then once it lodges there, it's like a petri dish, it starts to grow. And then just picture a boil, is that as a boil grows, actually not only grows above the skin, but also goes into the body and destroys the tissues around it. So this infection is trapped in the spine, and it starts progressively, and sometimes relatively rapidly, destroying the disc, then the bone, then the bone starts to fracture, it goes into the spinal canal. And it's a significant chance of actually becoming either partially or completely paralyzed with a spine infection of the spine. Since my conservative care has gotten so good with elective surgery, my most of my surgery comes from being on call. And what we found out about a year ago, which was mind-boggling to me, is that 40% of my entire surgical practice is dealing with infections of the spine. So instead of seeing one or two a year, we're seeing about three to five per week. And there's right now 72,000 people dying from drug overdose every year, which is almost double that of car accidents, which is obviously a big deal. And these are huge operations, costing between 100 to $200,000 to do each time. Then there's hospital costs of six weeks of antibiotics. And then I also get to live with these patients for six weeks in the hospital and actually get to know who they are and why they end up doing what they're doing. So I have a tremendously deep perspective on the opioid epidemic right from the ground floor at a level you just can't imagine. And from your perspective, uh, what are you what do you think are the drivers of this epidemic? It's certainly been in the news a lot, uh, but nobody's really been offering any 
concrete solutions that don't involve a lot of law enforcement. Uh, and I was wondering, uh, you know, what your perspective was on what's what's driving the increased use of opioids, and and how you know how you see in your how you handle in your practice um, not having patients go down that road. Right. So I, I was in Sun Valley for four years, and I did a huge amount of my practice managing narcotics. So I would have people in my practice with hundreds of milligrams of morphine and oxycodone per day, and we we get, we get them off all drugs, and but they had control of the situation. So here's the deal: eighty-seven percent of people on chronic, eighty-seven percent of people on opioids have chronic pain. So the solution is actually to solve the chronic pain. Now, only 20% of physicians are comfortable working with chronic pain. Less than 1% enjoy treating chronic pain. The elephant in the room is we have over 100 million people in the United States with chronic pain. The medical profession is not treating it correctly, otherwise we wouldn't have such a huge problem. So the bottom line is there is a viable solution. I'll explain why it's so viable in a second. Um, but we need to solve the chronic pain, which is which is actually a solvable problem. It's based on my own experience, my patient's experience, but also the recent neuroscience research has become very, very clear on how to solve chronic pain. So the first solution concept is to actually solve chronic pain, which can be done. The second aspect to understand that what drives people to use opioids is not a physical pain, it's mental pain. And we on different podcasts we've talked about, I'm not going to get into this day, but mental pain and physical pain are processed in a similar manner in the nervous system with a very almost identical chemical response. And what happens, it creates those stress chemicals, create the feeling of anxiety, which is intolerable. turns out anxiety is a result of stress, not the cause. So anxiety is that sensation generated by the body's stress chemicals. And so... The problem with mental pain for humans compared to other living creatures, we can't escape our thoughts. So it's an unrelenting progressive mental pain that literally drives people to use drugs. The third thing is family dynamics. Maybe the biggest factor exacerbating pain is that families trigger each other. Again, we've talked about that on other podcasts as far as family dynamics. And then finally, to solve the problem, it's got to be you know, put together on a widespread basis. So I want to talk about what's being done now to give you a perspective on what we're doing is exactly the wrong thing, is that first of all, there's always some, since I've ever been you know, a kid, the government is going to be tough on drugs, going to increase um, access, going to decrease access, increase punishment. And we know that the harder the government gets on drugs and restricting access, the worse the problem. I mean, the opioid problem the last 30 years has gotten way worse, not better. The government's been working on its restricting access indefinitely. And... Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein has a very famous saying, is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, guess what? We're doing the same thing again, is that the first thing we're doing right now is we're restricting access. Now, I'm not saying that's not part of the solution. I mean, I think unlimited access to drugs is a bit of a problem. It certainly should not be illegal from my perspective. It's a tragedy when somebody's addicted. It's more of a tragedy to to punish somebody for something that's not being treated correctly in the first place. Nonetheless, the problem is is that when you restrict access to drugs, you actually increase people's anxiety, and it makes the pain worse, and what do you do? So now you have increased pain from less drugs. Now you have increased anxiety because you're having access restricted. 
and this is the one worst death that can be done to solve the opioid epidemic. It's all over the news. We're going to get tough on drugs. We're going to restrict access. Now they're punishing doctors who are just simply doing the best they can do. I mean, I, I agree there's a few, maybe less than 1% of physicians, maybe are or less than that, are really profit, profiteering off of the drugs, simply giving them out without, without um, accountability. But physicians have no interest in putting themselves at risk. So we're punishing patients. We're, quote, getting tough on drugs. We're punishing physicians. We're increasing anxiety. Like I mentioned before, anxiety actually is the pain. And so, again, anxiety is a survival reflex. Humans will do anything to avoid anxiety. And guess what? Opioids actually work on mental pain. Once you're on morphine, et cetera, why it works really, really nicely, obviously, is a problem long term. So that's number one thing, which is really a problem. And the second thing is, is that we're not – what's happening is we restrict access. There's a graph that's on my website that has it's the same title as this um, – the same title as this talk, is that there's a talk between 2011, 2016, this graph, I'm sorry, there's a graph between 2011, 2016, which shows around 2009, 2010, that, that deaths from prescription drugs leveled off pretty much, certainly decreased in the increase in deaths. But what's going on is that opioid deaths have gone through the ceiling. And if you look at the lines of heroin and other synthetic opioids like fentanyl, those are going straight up just like a like a rocket. I mean, literally going straight up. So what happens is that my patients have anxiety. They're using the drugs. They have restricted access. They, in, they get into a battle in the, with the system. Their whole life becomes consumed trying to figure out how to get the drugs safely and consistently. Anxiety goes up, pain goes up. And if the access is really restricted, they go to the streets. They go to illicit sources. So it may not always be IV drugs, it could be other illicit sources of drugs, but the other illicit sources of drugs aren't necessarily calibrated very well, and it's dangerous. So the IV drug deaths from, her- from heroin has gone through the ceiling. The problem with the current heroin on the street, it's unpredictable how strong it is. Second of all, the drug dealers will lace the heroin with fentanyl, which is much stronger than heroin, and they know a certain people will die from an overdose. Well, what it does, it increases the street value of the drug. So they're not willing. They're actually, that's part of their marketing, is actually increase the number of street deaths from their product, which makes people feel like they're buying a stronger drug, therefore adding value to the drug. So you can remember a drug dealer is not necessarily having your best interest in mind. They're there to make a profit, make money. And if they were interested in your well-being, they wouldn't be dealing drugs in the first place. So right now... We're not effectively treating chronic pain, which is the anxiety. We're restricting access, which increases the anxiety. Then people have to get the drugs. They go to the street, do IV drugs. And then, of course, that destroys their lives because all of a sudden they're illegal. Then they get these major, major medical problems. They're malnourished. Their anxiety is crippling. A lot of them become homeless. Many, Probably half the patients I deal with these infected spines are homeless. And we're just creating a societal problem that is unmanageable. And we're just getting started on this. They're now, when I hear the DE agents give talks and stuff at these conferences, the uh, the issue comes up about, they call it the second wave opioid epidemic. And that's the wave I'm talking about where you have restriction of access to drugs and they're going to the street. 
And again, they don't they don't know what to do either. So I don't want to go too much more into the other aspects of the opioid epidemic that are a problem driven by the medical system, but I'll just briefly mention that modern medicine does not make a profit treating your brain. I have given a couple lectures around the country pointing out that it's been documented that the, that the resources we're using to treat pain, specifically, specifically spine pain, have been documented to be ineffective, but they're covered. And then the treatments that have been shown to be effective of relaxation, physical conditioning, medication management, sleep, et cetera, have been documented to be effective in hundreds of research papers. None of those are covered by insurance. So really what mainstream medicine is doing right now is we're literally pretending to offer medical care. And then you go to the doctor trusting them to do the right thing, and they're trying. But the business of medicine is forcing us to go at a level that's not sustainable. And then so you go to the doctor to get fixed, and then you get disappointed. We do know that repeated disappointments actually induces depression. Then the other problem that the business medicine is doing is that we're not listening. So doctors get doctors label you quickly. You're rushed through the visit. We're not paid to listen, and we just can't. I mean, how can you actually practice medicine when your income doesn't even remotely come close to covering your overhead? So you just can't do it. So the doctors are getting caught in a vice. Um, so that's a big problem also. Anyway, I won't go into the problems anymore. I do want to talk about the solution. So, so Tommy, you follow me pretty much on this already? Is, is, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of parts to this, but the essence is that as you restrict your access, you increase anxiety, which is the pain. The mental pain is a bigger problem. And then we're not only providing the drug, we're not providing the resources to treat the problem. Well, Any I, questions I on you, that? Well, it just uh, just uh, underscore the point. Uh, as you say, 100 million people in the U.S. have chronic pain, so that's right. that's like a huge feeder if we don't if we don't get a new way to treat chronic pain into the system, uh, many of those people are likely to go down this path. Right. Well, as you know, I'm actually retiring in December to pursue the DOC project full-time. The basic reason for it is, and there's a couple of research papers written about this, is that doctors are in the trenches. We're not given the time or really allowed to talk to our patients. We're encouraged to do procedures. And then we're watching our patients not do well and it's like a cumulative progressive PTSD, and the burnout rate amongst physicians right now is about 60%. It actually climbs every every five years. When I first started this whole process, burnout rate was about 30%. And there's many reasons contributing to burnout, but the essence of it is we don't have time to talk to our patients because medicine is really mind-numbing repetition. I mean, from a physician's perspective, you write medications, you do physical therapy, you order different procedures, and that's about it. And it goes over and over and over again. What makes medicine incredibly interesting is actually the patient. And so the first step in treating chronic pain is actually paying doctors to listen, actually taking time out what's going on. We do know that family dynamics and situational, situational stresses are huge factors in increasing pain. And simply asking the question about what's going on, just that simple question will yield a ton of answers. People today are under a lot of stress. It changes the body's chemistry. People are anxious, they're frustrated, and there's no place to turn. But we keep treating anxiety as primarily a psychological problem, where it's really this massive neurochemical response that's, that you have to treat by calming down the nervous system. But talking about it doesn't really work. So the reason why, so the viable solution is, first of all, training physicians how to enjoy treating chronic pain. Right now, again, like I mentioned earlier, 
20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain, and less than 1% enjoy it. But I gave a lecture at Mayo Clinic in 2013 about enjoying the management of chronic pain. And watching somebody that has no hope come not only back to life, but actually progress at a level they never experienced before, it's just been incredibly energizing, inspiring, rewarding. I can't really put it into words. And the reason why the process is actually a viable solution to the opioid epidemic is, is that it's self-directed. So the book, Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain, gives you the background and the context and the framework. It's not the solution. What it does, you give, it gives you a framework to start figuring out your own solutions. So the first step in solving chronic pain or any problem in any arena is simply understanding the problem. So the, second, so the first factor in solving chronic pain is awareness. Um, the second thing is actually understanding that chronic pain is complicated. It's a complex problem. And it's important to take every aspect of chronic pain that's relevant to you and to treat it simultaneously. In other words, er, in other words every treatment works independently a little bit, but it doesn't solve the problem. So nothing works in isolation. So it's always a combined approach that solves a problem. But the final step, is, which is most critical, is once you understand pain, understand the diagnosis, and understand your situation clearly, you take control. And once, you're in, you, once you take control, the tools are very simple. Essentially, none of the patients have gone to a pain clinic or seen a pain psychologist, even though, even though, even though I think they're helpful. And we have lots of resources we're trying to develop to actually help people move along in the journey. So the reason why it's a viable solution to the opioid epidemic is that, first of all, it works probably if somebody engages in the process, there's a very high chance their pain will essentially disappear. Second of all, it's self-directed, so it's widely available, can be put out there on a public health basis. And remember, it's the DOC principles. I say that the DOC process is the solution to the opioid epidemic, somewhat tongue-in-cheek because it's an approach, and there's other people all around the country that use their version of the approach, which is simply calming down the nervous system and helping people move forward and become more can become more functional, and they have the same results. So each practitioner has its own style of doing this. But the, the biggest thing is that this is a self-directed process that could be implemented on a huge public health basis. So again, the solution to the opioid epidemic is understanding that it's mental pain, that it's complex, multidimensional, it is a self-directed process, can be implemented on a very widespread basis, and that's the solution to the opioid epidemic. Well, it's uh, it, it's certainly a, a solution that I think uh, looks better for patients, for doctors, and for society in general. Uh, as you describe it, it's, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts to it. In in, in part, it's the medical system itself, um, but from from your perspective, how do we how does how does this approach move forward? How can we how can we expand this approach? What get more hospitals, more doctors, and more government agencies on board with it? Well, it's going to be an educational process. So I have learned that right now that the business interests, such as hospitals, are really not that interested in the process. It, does, it simply doesn't make money. I mean, they're on a fee for service model. They're rewarded for doing procedures, by the way, the ones that have doc been documented not to work. Um, so there are interested parties like employers who are self-insured have to pay the bills. So this opioid epidemic is wiping out the profit margins. I mean, it's a disaster as far as them financially. So they have an interest in doing this. 
Of course, the public themselves um, are interested. They're sort of desperate for help. I mean, I talked to a woman yesterday at my club who has a mother in chronic pain, and in about 15 minutes, I was able to create a huge, huge paradigm shift for her, and she was so excited. And so she's going to start with the book, the website. She's going to start pulling her family into it. And we watch this happen all the time, but usually within about two to six weeks, things start to change. And by three to six months, it's just remarkable how how happy people are. So the entities that are paying the bills have an interest. The public has an interest. Doctors have an interest in this, but they don't. They can't honestly implement it with the current fee-for-service system. So I actually one of the reasons I'm working with some local hospitals and, and medical care systems is to change a fee, stru- fee structure where the pain specialists aren't strapped by doing procedures, and their pay should be double, triple, quadruple to talk to the patients and listen. It would be less testing, less procedures, and the cost-effectiveness would be huge just from purely a medical standpoint, but also from a human suffering standpoint, is that these patients, as they go to pain-free, they come out of the medical system. I mean, one gentleman who owned a couple of businesses, disabled for 10 years, have another people run his business, literally came to me in a body straitjacket, high-dose narcotics, really had a tough, tough start with him, and I honestly didn't have much hope for him. Long story short, in about six months, he went no body jacket, no medications, pain-free, back running his business, and he came out of the medical care system. We have hundreds of stories like this. So the savings of actually solving chronic pain is huge. Your capacity to thrive and enjoy life goes up dramatically. We're going to talk about that on the next episode about how to enjoy your day today. It's really based on body's chemistry. So it's, again, it's such a self-directed process that a public awareness and working with entities that have a vested interest in people getting better. Um, and I think it's happening, by the way. I really do think it's starting to happen. But people still haven't quite connected the opioid epidemic to solving chronic pain. I think that right there is a key issue. So first they have to be aware that it's the chronic pain that is driving the opioid use that and and then but but, but is it, is it, the is it chronic, is it chronic yeah it's the chronic mental pain that's the part that's okay it's the chronic mental pain I mean I have knee pain and hip pain from arthritis, but the thing that just just tortured me in the midst of my own horrible ordeal was the was the anxiety, and it was just crippling and when I get beneath the hood of the car on anybody's specific situation <clears throat> is always the anxiety. People can sort of tolerate the pain to some degree. What they can't tolerate is the anxiety. Well, this has certainly been an eye-opening episode, I think, for all of us uh, to just to really grasp the, the size of this problem and yet the simplicity of the approach that that you're discussing. I mean, it's it's simple in comparison to what's going on currently. Not not simple right. in somebody's life, you know. But it, it right. it's a chance for patients to take control. Um, and I want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing this with us. And I want to let our listeners know that um, uh, Dr. Hanscom had referred to some graphs and more information on the opioid epidemic, and you'll find those in the show notes. There's a link uh, to the website, the Back in Control website. So, Dr. Hanscom, thank you very much for being on the show today, and we look forward to another episode next week. Yeah. <clears throat> thank you very much. This is a big topic, and we'll have multiple episodes on this topic, and we'll just be able to touch on the very um, surface of the whole problem. But, yeah, it's, it's a big problem, and excited about the potential solution 
So I'm working extremely hard trying to get this out into the public domain, but thank you. Well, we look forward to talking more about it in future episodes. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.